Today's Bible reading is Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26. Life by the Spirit. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, faction and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Turngabby Baptist Church. My name's James. I'm one of the pastors here. And I've got the joy of opening up God's Word with us uh, today. But yeah, I encourage you. It's great to have the kids in with us. We've got drawing sheets up the back there if they haven't already got it. What a joy it is for us as God's people, as a family, to, to worship together, to sit under God's word together, and for the kids to actually see and have you as parents model to them what it means to sing and pray, but also you're modeling to them what it is to listen and to, to sit under God's word today. But today I want to start off with this famous Greek proverb that's thousands of years old. And this Greek proverb says, the free man is the one who lives as he chooses. The free man is the one who lives as he chooses. Now in the 21st century Australia, we would say pretty much the same thing. The free person is the one who lives how they choose. The idea of freedom in Australia is to have true freedom and to live under true freedom is to live how you would choose to live. We sing in our national anthem, we are one and free. We like the idea as Aussies of being free, free to do whatever we want or to, to express ourselves and to have that freedom that, that to really live is to live however you would love to live. Whether that's through religion or through rebellion. Now, in this room today, I think all of us naturally have a slight bent towards a couple of things. We naturally are possibly more religious or 
you're a bit more rebellious. Now, here's what I mean by that. You know it, okay? Like, if you've grown up in a family, you know there's that stegler for the rules, and there's the one who's wishing to push the rules. Now, you know, when I drop my kids off at school, guess what I see? I see the religious, and I see the the rebellious. Now, here's how I see it. As I drop them off, those religious parents park where they're meant to park, right? They won't go past the no standing. They park exactly where they're meant to. Now, if all that's left is no standing, the religious parent will do what? They will drive around the block again until they find it. But then I watch and you've got the the rebellious, right? They look around, there's no cops. No one's looking, there's no school teachers and they go to the no standing. Some of them will leave it running, hop out and quickly run the kids in and lock it and they Look at they run in. Now, the religious in this moment are like, but they're going to get in trouble for it. But those of you who are rebellious are like, I wonder if I can get away with that as well. You look around and think, can I do the same thing? Now, as kids, if you're kids, you know that there's that one brother who's steckler for the rules. And there's one who just wants to be a little bit rebellious. You've seen it, haven't you? You know, you, you, as parents, you're in the car and you find, and you've got to, got to go and do this, kids. And you sort of know it's a bit rebellious. And the, the child says, Mom, we cannot do that. No, no, no. That's, no, no, no. But then if the kid's a bit rebellious, you're like, hey, Mom, why don't you park there? No one will see what's going on. See, we have this, this tendency to either be rebellious or to be religious. And yet both of them are trying to find freedom. Have you realized that? See, the religious, they're trying to find freedom in meriting their favor, meriting God's favor. They're trying to find freedom in rules and regulations. They're trying to live out their life that will give them freedom by being religious. But then those who are rebellious, they're actually trying to do the same thing as well. They're trying to have a free life by breaking the rules, being rebellious. See, both rebellion and religious are both enslaved. Both lead to enslavement. Have you ever realized that? The religious person wants to merit. And so to merit, they need to do more and more things. They become enslaved to it. The person who wants to be rebellious or wants to be free through a license to sin, have you you noticed that they get caught up in things and become enslaved to it? So for instance, pornography. I just need it once. But then after a long period of time, it's not just once a week, it's five times a week to five times a day. Living out freedom, going, if only I could live however I want. But what happens? Eventually it enslaves you. So it does it with religion as well. See, we're living, you know, religion for many years created wars so that they could merit freedom. But at the same time, during the 1960s, through the love revolution, free love meant freedom without responsibilities. And even today in our current worldview of the new sex ethic and gender revolution, we need those things to live free and we can never get enough of it. And then we get it and we become enslaved to it and it just gets worse and worse and worse. See, Both religion and rebellion are motivated by fear. See, the religious is fear-based. They're worried that if they don't do these things, they won't merit. But those who want freedom and and want rebellion and and want to 
have a license to do whatever they want. They're also fear-based, right? That's the whole idea of the sexual revolution. That if I can't have sex with whoever I want, then my life won't be free. And eventually it just keeps going in the road and you become more enslaved by that thought. And so today, we're going to see that there's another way. That there's another way. See, last week we saw that we've been set free by Jesus. He set us free to be free. So stand firm. Don't add anything to Jesus. Jesus plus nothing is everything. And by running in the gospel. See, the book of Galatians is very clear with us that the gospel of Jesus, the good news is it's all Jesus. He's done it all. There is no other gospel. There's no other way to be put right with God. Through Jesus, we've been redeemed. We've been adopted. So, and so through the good news of Jesus, we have these things and we've been set free to be free. See, our world thinks that Christianity is oppressive and it's bondage. But actually, biblical Christianity is actually, we are the ones who have been set free to be free. Whereas religion and rebellion are all driven and motivated by fear. Now, last week, last week we were very clear that there's nothing you can do. You've been set free by Jesus to be free. Now, I know how you will have reacted last week. The religious person would have gone, James, but. You would have said, James, but, but, but. Surely that means we just can't live however we want to live, right? Surely, James, that's going to be a license to sin. So the religious would have, you know, you probably would have said that. Now, the, the rebellious would have gone, ah, it really doesn't, I don't really have to think too much about this holiness of God. I don't really need to think about how I live. And see, we would have reacted in two ways last week to this idea that we are truly set free and you cannot add anything to your salvation. Well, guess what? Aren't we lucky today because Paul is going to speak to both types. He's going to say, no, there is a better way. There's actually a third way. See, whereas religion and rebellion are all motivated by fear, biblical Christianity is motivated by love. Did you see that in verses 13, 14, and 15? In 14, for the entire law. Sorry, back, back one. Rather serve one another humbly in love. Verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's motivated by, by love. And so Paul now... He's going to show us, no, it's not religion, it's not rebellion, but there's a third way. There's a third way in which God intends for those who have been set free to live. How are we to be set free? How are we to be, live? Well, we're going to see what it looks like to live as God intended us to live in verses 16 to 25. And because of the freedom that Jesus has won us, we've got three points. And the first one is because of the freedom Jesus has won us, we are to walk by the Spirit. That's our first point. We are to work, walk by the Spirit. Now the context, remember chapter 5 verse 1, is it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Verse 13, you my brothers and sisters were called to be free. But he says here we are to walk by the Spirit. Because of our freedom, we are to walk by the Spirit. In the ancient world, Aristotle, he had disciples who would walk with Aristotle, which meant that they learnt off him. They, they, they sought his guidance and his will. They followed their teacher. And so here, Paul's saying, we walk by the 
spirit. We are to follow God. We are to seek his guidance and his will in our lives. But why do we need to walk by the spirit? I'm glad you've asked. Why do we need to walk by the Spirit? Verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law. See, in Jesus, now that we've been set free, we're no longer confined to the law, but now we're set free to bear the fruit of the Spirit. But why do we need this way? right? For those who would have gone, yes, but, or for those who go, oh, it doesn't matter. Why do we need this third way? Here's why we need it, because of that word flesh. Now, that word flesh, have you noticed it was there over and over? That's not your physical physique, right? It's not you looking at yourself in the gym and going, wow, I look really good. Now, now, when Paul uses the word flesh, he's talking about your nature, your your thoughts. And, and, and so what he's saying is, when you talk about the flesh, he's actually talking about your sinful nature. When Paul talks about the flesh, it's your sinful nature. And for us to understand what that is, we're going to go back to Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created Adam and Eve. We were made in his image. We walked with God in the garden. We loved God. We had a relationship with him. And God created us in his image. And we were to fill the earth. We were to live out how God intended us to be. And what happened? Guess what Adam and Eve did? They decided, no, we want our freedom. Right? They wanted their freedom. And they said, God, no, we know better. You don't know what's best for our life. We don't trust you. We don't trust that you have our best interests in mind. And so they ate the fruit and they sinned. And from that point on, we've had a new sinful nature we become enslaved to it see the reality is in this room is every single one of you the moment you've been born you've been born with a sinful nature you've inherited the nature of adam romans tells us that so from the moment you are born right we are by nature sinful now that's confronting isn't it to think that a two-year-old is sinful well they are you do not have to teach a two-year-old how to lie you don't have to teach them how to steal. You don't have to teach them how to bite and manipulate. Now, if you don't think two-year-olds do it, you're not paying close enough attention. Now, those kids, they aren't looking at mum and dad going, oh, mum bit dad. No, they by nature know how to live that way. What do you do as adults? You have to show them the other. You know, like you've got to show them love and peace and don't bite each other, don't manipulate. See, by nature, we have that. And when Paul talks about the flesh, He's talking about that human nature. We've inherited it. It's ours. From, the, from birth, we have it. And so what does this nature look like? What does it look like for that to outpour itself in our lives? Well, it's good that you've asked that question. Go to verse 19. Because we see what it means to live in our sinful nature. The outworks of it. Verse 19, sexual immorality. The acts of the flesh. So do you notice it? The flesh is brought up again. They're obvious, sexual immorality, which is like sex outside of marriage, which is displaying a self-centeredness and a lack of restraint for passion. Then we've got impurity and debauchery, which is it's unnatural relationships, expressing ourselves sexually how it wasn't meant to be expressed. Verse 20, we have idolatry, we have witchcraft. Now that's 
That's like pagan worship in the temples. That's the new age or the occults or witchcraft. See, they're the acts of the flesh. Now, the religious among us will go, yeah, that is. And you go, I'm so glad I haven't done it. Right? We would probably think that. Well, let's keep going because Paul doesn't stop. See, if we sit there those first couple and go, oh, I've never done that. Well, let's, let's keep going on. And so now he's going to show how the, the sinful nature destroys relationships. Let's have a look how it destroys relationships. We've got verse verse 20 we've got hatred we've got discord which is a lack of harmony jealousy which is resentment fits of rage selfish ambition selfish ambition dissension which is someone who's a quarrelsome person who gets into controversy factions it's people who create a clique of who's in and who's out You've got envy, which is discontent with what others have. Now, isn't it interesting? Sometimes when we lose our temper, or we become really passionate and say, I'm sorry, that's just my passion. No, actually, this tells us it's the sinful nature in us, living that out. It's the sinful nature when we do those things. But have a look at what else. Drunkenness orgies and the like. Now, what do you mean by drunkenness and orgies? It's, they, they sort of go together. It's sort of that Friday night bender where you've finished the work and you need to go out and you drink all night to just sort of ease your blues and your woes and to, to drink it away and so that you can be free from the week that it has been and so you indulge yourself in those things. Now, that's what he's talking about. But I think also, we can just look at it, we think of alcohol like that. Now, it's a drunkenness, remember. But secondly, I think you could replace that with food I, I think as a society we've we've become proud about food in a way that we indulge food to give freedom and pleasure you know like me like when i get stressed the staff will see right i walk to the kitchen every five minutes and if the cupboard's empty i still check the cupboard five minutes later see food can be that as well um i think even exercise in the fitness industry is becoming something in which we indulge in now, there's nothing wrong with food, right? There's, there's nothing wrong with fitness. But it's whether we indulge in it in a way that that's, it's unnatural. And then there's, there's, there's this glaring warning in verse 21. See, what Paul does, is he doesn't want us to become complacent about our freedom. He doesn't want us to become complacent about our freedom and say, well, if you live however you like, you're really just living like the rest of the world. So it's a warning, it's a strong warning. Now he's not talking about the person who has a once-off relapse or the person who's caught up in addiction who's seeking help. He's actually talking about the one who is unrepentant and it's just in the habit of practicing things like this. And he says, I warn you, verse 21, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying if you want to live in your freedom and you live like it's, you're going back to the old way. You've been brought into this new kingdom. Those ways are not how it was intended to be. Remember Adam and the flesh? That's not how it was intended for you to live. See, there's a difference. There's a difference between the flesh, the sinful nature, and the Holy Spirit. There's two major differences. They have two majorly different goals for your life. The sinful flesh is pride and selfishness. 
The, the sinful flesh wants you to be at the center and glorify you. But what's the Holy Spirit's role? The Holy Spirit has the goal, according to John chapter 16, of glorifying Jesus. Jesus sent the Spirit. The Father sent the Spirit to glorify Jesus. Can you see how the flesh, they're in combat? The flesh wants to glorify you. The Holy Spirit wants to glorify Jesus. The flesh desires to glorify you and the Spirit wants to glorify Jesus. And therefore, Paul's saying, yes, you're free. Because of your freedom that Jesus has won, we are to walk by the Spirit. But not only are we to walk, but because of our freedom that Jesus has won, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. See, the, the fruit of the sinful nature is the, all those other things. But the fruit of the Spirit is what God intends for your life. It was the way that you were created to be. It's how we were made to be. And so we've been crucified. At, when Christ was crucified, we were crucified with him. The moment you trusted that it's Jesus plus nothing, he's done it all. Your old self was crucified with Christ. The old Adam has gone and you are now in Jesus. And we bear the fruit of the Spirit. We've been given the Spirit. See, the worldly freedom of the old nature is sinful desires which equal flesh. And those moments where we self-gratify and self-promote are the moments that we're living out our old self. But the fruit of the Spirit are, have a look, they're vastly different, aren't they? We've got love. Look there, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, which is like God is love. It's sacrificial love. It's, it's all outward expression, not inward focus. It's, it's outward and sacrificial. It's joy. It's, joy is sort of, in a way, it's like great delight in God, but not despair. Peace. It's like resting in God's wisdom. Patience, which is in the moment of troubles, you don't blow up. There's goodness, which is like in a way, goodness is probably you're not someone who comes to church and we get this physique and you go home and you're a completely different person. Self-control, it's not being impulsive. It's being self. Now, faithfulness is it's integrity. It's being you've said yes to something, you keep to your word. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, did you notice that this list is not a tick-off list? Did you notice how RJ was so helpful in that kid's talk? It's not a, a list of rules that you can tick off and say, I've done it. Because, see, we easily fall into this trap that our spiritual growth, our sanctification, we, we measure that growth on how we're sometimes feeling. Was the church service great today? Sometimes we base our sanctification on, I seem to be doing better this week in life and my work has gone a lot better. Whereas Paul says, no, 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 you know how you measure? Look at the fruit. So if you've been a Christian for 10 years, he says, look back and see if these things have grown. Have you got more love, more joy, more peace? It's, he wants you to be able to look back and see the result of it. See, it's, it's a holistic life that's transformed by, by this. A, a couple of years, a few, oh, it'll be a fair few years ago, I, I remember we were looking at the, the fruit of the Spirit and I was a young bloke. And I said, oh, today at church I was leading, I said, hey, we're going to be doing the fruits of the Spirit. Now, I didn't think anything much of that, but afterwards, a lovely 
gentleman came up to me, a godly man. He said, hey, James, where does it say fruits? He said, just, just be wary that it's not fruits, it's fruit. And you might think that doesn't really matter. It actually makes a whole lot of difference. Because if we think of it as fruits, as individual, not holistic, we'll go, I've cracked joy. Now I've got to do self-control. Do you see what happens when we see them as fruits, as individual? We'll just work on one and we'll think we're really good. Whereas Paul here is actually saying, no, 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 these are a holistic. You should be growing in all of these at, at the same time. It's, it's holistic. See, the fruit is what God intends for us. Do you see, this is what we were created to be like. Not the sinful flesh that we've inherited. See, the law can never produce this fruit. Only the Spirit can. And I don't know, did you notice as I went through that list of love, joy, peace and patience? Did you notice all these characteristics? They point you to Jesus. Jesus lived those out fully didn't he self-control as people plucked the hair out of his beard as he went to a cross he showed peace he showed comfort he trusted in his father like we see all these characteristics they're exactly what the second adam the, the lord jesus christ lived out he lived them out how we could never live them out what a beautiful thing and that's what the spirit is doing in your life as a christian the spirit is reproducing this in you to become more like Jesus. But here's the trap. We measure this when we think we can just do these things and we'll become more mature. Do you know what I mean? Like we do that, don't we? We, we think, well, surely if I could just tap joy on, if I could just tap a bit more, more peace, if I could just tap, like we, we try and tap that onto our life. That's not how fruit grows. Have you ever realized that fruit doesn't grow like that? You know, fruit, you can't just put a full orange on an orange tree. It's got to bear it. Now, a couple of years ago, we were renovating. So we had some beautiful trees in our backyard. So I had to remove some trees. And so I watered the tree. I dug around the tree. I dug under the tree. It just wouldn't quite come out. So I tied a rope around it, pulled it out with a car, and it came out. Beautiful tree. So I re-dug another hole in the backyard. I plonked it in there, watered it. For the first week, it was green. It looked lush. It looked like it was going to hang in there and... and but then after about a week, you know, the leaves start falling on the ground. And I mean, this is a nice tree. It was like about this big. It was a deciduous tree. And I'm thinking, oh man, maybe it's just because it's winter. And the, trees, the leaves kept falling off and off and off and off and off. And we had this big pile. Now, I could grab those leaves and staple them to that tree. And those leaves still would not produce. Right? You know why? The tree was dead. See, an orange, I could, have, I could have stapled oranges. I could have stapled, you know, pears. I could have done that as much as I wanted. I could have tried to do it. And guess what would have happened? They would have died because the tree was dead. See, the fruit is just a reminder of the life you have in Christ. See, it's, the roots have got to be alive. See, it's produced. The fruit of the Spirit is something that's produced. It's not something you can just, you can conjure up this week to try and put in place. It's the work of the Spirit. See, that's why behavior modification does not work. See, we are being transformed by the Spirit to look more like Jesus. 
Right? Did you notice that it's the Spirit that does this? But verse 25 is really helpful as well. There is human responsibility. Verse 25 says, since we live by the Spirit, since you have the Spirit, make sure you just walk by the Spirit. Walk by it. Do you see the the, the tension we have? The tension of the old flesh and the, the new? There's this tension constantly. We want to walk in the old, but he says, no, no, you've got the Spirit, live in step with the Spirit. So how do I know if I'm being led by the Holy Spirit? We ask those questions, don't we? How do I know if I'm being led? How do I know if it's God's will? Is the Spirit leading me to take this job? If it's taking this? You know, they're good questions to ask. How am I led by the Holy Spirit? Well, in the context of just Galatians 5, how good it is that shows us how we are led. In this context, how are you led? Verse 22. Love, joy, peace, patience. that's, That's an example of what it means to be led. If you want to know whether you're being led by the Spirit, how's joy going? How's peace going? And because of the freedom we've received in Jesus, we are to walk by the Spirit. We will bear the fruit of the Spirit. But finally, because of the freedom we have received in Jesus, we are to battle by fixing our eyes on Jesus. I hope you saw the tension in this passage. Verse 17 and 18, it's it's clear, isn't it? For the flesh desires what is contrary to the flesh. Sorry, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Have you realized that there's this sort of conflict going on in us? Yes, we've crucified the old self at the cross, but there's still that old sinful nature that's there, and yet at the same time, we have the spirit that's at work within us, making us more like Jesus. Therefore, every day you get up, there's a conflict. And we need to battle it. And how do we do that? We fix our eyes on Jesus every day and we die to self. That's what verse 24 tells us to do. It tells you how do you battle it? Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Every day we need to tell ourselves who Jesus is, who the gospel, what the gospel is, and to point ourselves every day and go, I've been crucified. So you have been crucified, but in a way we are to crucify every day. It makes the words of Jesus when he says, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, which means die to you, die to your old self and follow me. See, God is changing you and me to be a person of joy, peace, patience. Now that we've been changed. See, the non-Christian doesn't have this battle. There's no middle ground here for any of us in this room. Every moment of every day, we're either going to live which nature. So every day it's a battle. There's a battle going on. The flesh wants to gratify you, but the spirit wants to glorify Jesus. So when you become a Christian, the reality of sin does not disappear. The reality does not disappear, but instead I think it intensifies because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It makes you more aware of that sinful nature. It's like, man, I hate this. See, there's a battle going on. We have this every day. Do you feel? It's like oh, you wake up and I shouldn't do that, but I do. And so he's saying, you know, that's, that's, you're, you're being set free in Christ. You're no longer enslaved to that sinful nature. And yet every day we choose so often to, I don't think a day goes past where we don't live in that, where we slip back. But he's saying, remember the gospel. There's a battle going on. Take it seriously. Don't be the rebellious who says, hey, 
It doesn't really matter because of the right. No, he said, well, take it serious. Look what you've been rescued from. It says to the religious, you're not enslaved to your religion anymore. But you've been set free to live like this. God's working in you. That's a battle. And we've got to take this really, really seriously, says Paul. You see the, the, the fast contrast. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been watching... I've watched this TV series with my kids. We're finished watching it. It's called Man Versus B. Now, it's got Rowan Atkinson. He's Trevor. Um, and so what happens in this, like, I don't know, it's like eight or nine parts to it. It goes for about 10 minutes. And so Rowan Atkinson, who's Trevor, he gets a job. He gets a job as a house sitter. And so he gets hired to go and sit this house of these multimillionaires who've got like, $50 million artwork on the wall. They've got this manuscript in a special office. They've got this prized dog that if you feed it peanut butter, it has diarrhea and you can't kill the, the dog. And so, and the, but the dog can't go into that special room because there's a special book there and he'll eat the book. And so Rowan Atkinson is paid, Trevor is paid to come and house sit this house. It's incredible. Like who wouldn't want to do that? But there's this tension for the whole, there's this tension throughout the whole series. Because that moment that Trevor turns up, he walks in and this bee flies in. And this bee at first is quite nice. He tries to shoo it off. But as the day goes on, the bee causes havoc for his life. And so the next day, it causes him to throw a hammer and it breaks the artwork. But then he has this moment one day where he could kill the bee. Right? He, he's there ready to kill the bee. Because the bees enslaved him. It's changed his behavior. It's changed his thoughts. He, he's so enslaved to this bee that he's gone, I've got to kill the bee. And so he's there ready to kill the bee. He has the opportunity to kill the bee. But then Trevor goes, it'll be okay. Surely tomorrow will be better. And so he lets it go. So the next day, he becomes more enslaved to the bee and it gets worse and worse and worse. Here's another opportunity to kill the bee. Boom. But ah, no, nah, surely, surely it will be okay. So he lets the bee go. And what happens by the time you've watched the whole series, it basically ends up he's burnt the house down because he's become enslaved to this bee. And now we're not here to kill bees. But here, Paul's very serious about the conflict that's battling on and we need to kill it. We need to be serious about it. We need to battle it. And the way we battle it is, is we have crucified the flesh. It's to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's what we are to do. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's how we battle it every day. So you notice that it's hard. Have you noticed don't indulge? Have you noticed it says walk by the Spirit, keep in step? This, it's easy to become a Christian, right? Christ has done it all. But between now and the new heavens and the new earth, there is a battle going on. You're not passive in this, but the Spirit is in us to, to help us live out this freedom. The old nature is dead and the new is here, but you're going to keep stumbling over it every day. And so keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Now, if you're here today and you, you're a Christian and you say to me that you say, I never sin, that you're always behaving, that you're always living God's life, that you're always godly to every extent, 
that all your actions are always right, can I just tell you right now that the Bible says you're kidding yourself? You've got an over-realized eschatology. The biblical worldview is there is the reality of the flesh that's been crucified and yet it's still something where it's there. See, the moment you believe and are born again, you're given life through the Spirit and you trust in Jesus. But we've got the Spirit in us now. When you're most aware of your sin, I think we're most walking in the Spirit. So the battle is to fix your eyes on Jesus, to walk by the Spirit is to fix your eyes on Jesus. And one of those ways I think that you can battle it today is, is why don't you pray to God today and say, hey God, can you show me where I'm living in step with the sinful nature rather than in step with the Spirit? I think it's a brave prayer to pray, God, can you show me my sin? Show me your sin over the next six months. I've prayed that prayer and it's dangerous because God will show you. That's why it's so important. Like next week we have gospel relationships. It's so important that we talk to one another at the struggles and the things we get enslaved to and the help that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's why we need to talk with one another and have relationships. But as we wrestle with it, as we battle, the first thing we must remember is that you belong to Jesus. See, when you trust in Jesus, you gave up your flesh to him. See, when churches have splits or have disagreements and arguments, you know, they're typically, you know, it's either over the color of chairs or the carpet. We, we, get, we get antsy, we get angry, we get discord and things like that. Now, can I tell you that it's not the color of the seats that cause the argument? That's the sinful flesh that causes the argument. And so it's in those moments when we get into those kind of things that all of a sudden we, we find that some hatred, there's some discord, there's some clicks. It's in those moments we kill it by fixing our eyes on Jesus. See, maybe you're here as a Christian and you've grown up in a church and for you it's been generally, generally to be good is about behavior modification. You're good at having ticked the boxes of what you should and shouldn't do what you should say and what you shouldn't say. See, as Christians, we're often really good at asking the what question. What have I done? You know, like what, you know, what was the reason, you know, what did I lie for? Like we, we, we're really good at asking the what. What must I do, right? When actually there's a more powerful question is we ask ourselves, why do we lie? Do you see the difference? Often if you lie, being unfaithful, you, you'll find, oh, what? I shouldn't have done that. But ask yourself the question, why did I actually steal? Why did I lie? Why did I do those things? It's a very different question because what we find is as we ask that, we found in our life that there's another God besides Jesus there. So at the heart of the flesh is believing that God hasn't given you everything you need. And so when we sin, we're saying to God, you're not enough. The moment you seek the desires of the flesh, the moment you may seek sex outside of God's intended purpose for marriage, you have said that your desire for sex is more than your need for Jesus. And so to walk in the Spirit is to replace that need with Jesus at the center. To worship Jesus with all our hearts. To have him to be more glorious than any of those false freedoms of religion and rebellion that are offered to us in this world. So they offer so much stuff, but they kill us. So fix your eyes on Jesus. 
Say no to your old life in Adam and say yes to your new life in Christ. You are still going to be tempted to sin. You will be. But no longer do the passions of the flesh have to reign. Because no longer does that nature reign your body. Jesus reigns you now. And because you're owned by Jesus, you no longer have to be dominated by the flesh. See, the flesh is enslaving, it's oppressive, and it leads to either being religious or rebellious. And now it's in that moment that we have freedom to live out the fruit of the Spirit. It's in that that God works. See, if you're not a Christian here today, and if you are a Christian here today, what do you want in life? As you read through those virtues, as we read through the fruit of the Spirit, I think whether you're not a Christian or a Christian here today, who doesn't want Joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness and self-control. Who doesn't want that? But you cannot have that outside of Christ. It's only in Christ can we have that because we've been set free from the old Adam and we've been brought into Christ. So church, let's live out our freedom that we've received in Jesus by walking in the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit and battling by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you've, you've set us free from the dominion of darkness. Father, you've given us life in Christ. You've given us your Holy Spirit that's in us, who wants to glorify Jesus, who wants to change us, who wants to make us look more and more like Jesus. Father, help us to walk in step with that. Help us to walk in step with the real reality that you're at work in us. And so, Father, I pray for us as a church that we'll walk in step with the Spirit. Father, may we just abundantly bear the fruit of the Spirit. But Lord, may we be in this together as we battle together with the old nature, but the glorious knowledge of knowing that that no longer reigns over us, but Jesus reigns over us. Amen.